Good morning, church. Oh man, that song. <laughs> man, that song just like tore me up right now. You know, just considering and and thinking. You know, just just think for a minute. Think back on <clears throat> what your life used to be like before you surrendered and gave your life over to Jesus Christ. The fact that it's by his blood that we're saved. It's by his laying himself down on that cross, allowing himself to be crucified, allowing his blood to be shed, allowing himself to give his life as a ransom for many. It's that love. It's that act of, of, of giving of himself that has redeemed you and me. And now we... we have the opportunity to live for him the remainder of our lives and in this earth be a blessing to those around us that's a that's it's immense when you when you just sit and ponder what you've been forgiven of right the fact that on our best day we could never go before a holy god the true and living god el shaddai lord god almighty we could never go before him and say Allow me to enter into your rest. Allow me to enter into your presence. May I be forgiven. He would simply probably say something to the likings of, on what merit? <laughs> Why? Who do you come by? You come of your own merit? You, you can't. There's, there's nothing. The, the, the most genuine person in the world cannot come to the Lord God Almighty on their own merit and be granted access into his rest to be granted access into his holy presence for eternity. It is only by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, meaning his death, burial, and resurrection, the, 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 the acknowledgement that I'm a wretched sinner and that I've been forgiven. I re freely received the gift of salvation that's been offered to me. And on by, his, on by his merit alone do I come before a holy God. I heard a message earlier this week, and uh, it's interesting because the, the, the topic came up. Is preaching outdated? Some of you who listen to Alistair Begg, you probably heard it. Um, he talked about that because a lot of contemporary Christian churches nowadays, a lot of mainstream Christian churches say that preaching's outdated and we need these different methods to try to reach out to these people who are lost and we'll bring theater in and we'll bring different forms of music in and all this and that. Theater's good. Music's good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that, that does not regenerate a lost soul. The preaching and teaching of the word of God is what the Lord God has intended to get the message out. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but the word of God preached in its uh, entirety in the truth of the gospel. That is what will give a person the opportunity to receive redemption. It is the conviction that comes upon a person from hearing the word of God. When we look at our lives 
in light of the word of God, what do we have to stand on? All you have to do is look at the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other God before me. How are you doing this week with that? Anything can become a false idol. Even good things that are inherently not even bad in and of themselves. If we seek after something and pursue something in the wrong order, it is a false God. It is a false idol. And we know that the word of God says he will not share his glory with no one. Right? I just share that because, I just like I said, that, that song shook me up. You know, we don't need a three-point sermon. We, we don't need psychology. We don't need all of those things. We need to understand we are sinners saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a message that will never get old. It will never tarnish. If it's become old to us, that is because our hearts are cruddy and nasty and our hearts need to be regenerated and renewed constantly. It's not because the message does not have power. It's not because the message is old. Man, <laughs> it's going down this morning. Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 21 this morning. We'll be going through verses 9 through 27. I know it seems like a lot. We're going to get through it. There was no place for me to break this portion of scripture. I'm not going to say that I'm, uh, you know, totally, totally understanding that. I, don't, I, don't, I think if any pastor says they totally understand scripture, they're straight line. They're straight line because there's things that are just of the Lord and mysterious things about the Lord that we can't fully explain. Um, I will do my best, led by the Holy Spirit this morning, to unpack this portion of Scripture uh, with the ability the Lord has given me. Uh, this, this, this portion of Scripture is simply entitled, The New Jerusalem. And uh, we'll go ahead and stand, um, if you're able to, and we'll go ahead and read the Scripture, and then we'll break down, as we do, as customary in this church, verse by verse. And uh, we'll expound on this and see where the application for our lives is. Very excited for this portion of Scripture. Again, this is, this is kind of um, all that we're talking about, all that song's talking about. You're, you're, you're forgiven, you're, you're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and this is what we get to look forward to. This is what we get to look forward to. It's, it's so encouraging. All right, starting in verse 9, and it says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like most rare jewel, like a most rare jewel, excuse me, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. That's okay. No worries. It's all good. And then on the west, three gates. 
on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Verse 14, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth uh, burial, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprass, the eleventh jacinth, uh, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And then I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gate will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Verse 26, they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for that vivid description of what the new Jerusalem is going to look like, Lord. And uh, we just pray that, again, you would edify us, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, Lord. May we be moldable and pliable. May we be shapeable, formed by you, the potter. Lord, may you uh, just show us what it is that you would have us to understand about you through your word. We know everything points to Jesus Christ. So show us, Lord, how this truth will unveil that reality of who your son is, who the Trinity is, Lord, and how we can apply this to our lives this morning. So we thank you and we love you. and We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Very good. Vicki, you don't have to feel bad because... We, it's, a, it's a testament to we know what you're listening to on your downtime. The Word of God. <laughs> uh, last week, we learned about the new heaven and the new earth. We kind of got a sneak preview of what we're going to go into this morning. Uh, we learned how one day this world will pass away. This world as we know it. And will give way to the new heaven and the new earth. Right? We know that. The scripture is clear that this world as we know it, this, this globe that we're sitting on, right, that's spinning while we're here, present, is not going to be like this forever. It is going to be wiped away. The new heaven and the new earth, this will be the dwelling place for all true followers of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Not churchgoers, <laughs> followers of Christ. You see, there's... There's such a discrepancy nowadays. Many people say, oh, I'm a Christian. But do you follow Jesus Christ? Oh, I'm a believer. 
But do you live and honor and obey Jesus Christ? You see, those are the determining factors. It's not about our titles. The Lord cares not of, I run around saying I'm a pastor. He cares, am I obeying Him in the little and big things of life when nobody's looking? Where is my obedience? Where is my integrity? Where is your obedience? Where is your integrity? Is it found in Christ alone? That's what matters. Those are the ones who will enter in to the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no more pain. Amen. Amen. No more sorrow. Who's gone through sorrow this week? Who's felt like it's just been a season of sorrow? Maybe it's, maybe it's been 10 years and you've been dealing with something that it's just, man, it's sorrowful. You're seeing someone you love deteriorating and it's sorrowful. There's pain, there's hurt. Well, in the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no pain, no sorrow, there'll be no sin. How many of you, I'll put my hand up first, are always constantly battling something and not fall into some kind of sin, right? It is. Just because we're believers doesn't mean we don't sin. If we say we don't sin, what does the Bible say? We're a liar and the truth is not in us. So you and me, we all get off our high horses right now. We all got situations and issues. There'll be no more sin in the new heaven and the new earth. There'll be no hurt of any kind. Who's dealing with some kind of physical pain, some kind of ailment, something that's just, you're just like, ah. Yeah, after your, your, your second one, huh? You, you're like my wife. You got double fisted with all that. That's going to be gone. That's going to be gone in the new heaven and the new earth. You're going to get a, 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 a glorified body. What that looks like, I can't tell you. But I know it's going to be glorified in the Lord and it's going to be perfect. No coronavirus. I don't, what strand are we on now? How many? I mean, what? You know, I, none of this nonsense is going to matter anymore. No cancer. None of it. It, it. No leukemia. None of it. It's not going to affect you and I any longer in the new heaven and the new earth. Most importantly, the Lord God Almighty will wipe away every tear from every eye. All of the pain, all of the suffering, and some of it is our own doing, right? We make foolish choices and we suffer because remember, there's always a positive or a negative consequence for every decision you and I make in this life. Many times, even after we're saved, we're still paying for <laughs> circumstances and, de- and decisions that we brought upon ourselves because of foolishness, and we have to deal with that. But pain and sorrow, tears will be gone forever. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, thing to look forward to, to know that that will be our eternal rest forever and ever. Today we will get the blessing of being able to learn about the physical specks of heaven Right. As the scripture kind of breaks these things down for us and shows us a bird's eye view. It's just mind blowing that God would allow us to see the physical dimensions of heaven. But I guess we shouldn't be too surprised. Right. Because it's his desire to reveal things to us. Hence the book of Revelation. Hence he's revealing. He's not hiding. This is not the doom and gloom. Run for the hills. Well, I guess it is if you choose to rebel against him. But if you are a trusted follower, if you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, then this is something he wants you to know about. 
and he's revealing it to you and I so that you may be encouraged, so that you may be enthusiastic about your resting place for eternity. So you can turn around and tell someone else about the glory of God and how good he is and how he has so many good things planned for them. But as I'm learning more and more every day, this revival that I'm speaking about, it has to start within your own heart and my own heart. You see, the Lord is very, he's simplified things for me a lot in the last several months, really in the last several weeks. It's not about packing a stadium. It's not even about packing this building. It's about what are you and I doing in our sphere of influence you see, when we get to heaven, everything is not going to look the way we think it looks. I get Billy Graham and all that. Praise God for what the Lord did to him. But revival is not a stadium packed full of people. Okay, Revival is the Holy Spirit coming into somebody's life and shaking them up to the core. And their life will never be the same again. Can you say that about yourself today? Because if you know in your heart of hearts that you've been resurrected and changed, then you can go ahead and share that and be an influence to someone else around you. That's what it's about. That's true revival. It happens one person at a time. Just like people are getting converted to false truth one person at a time. These false churches are running around convoluting and, and diminishing the worth of Christ, spreading false doctrine. And one person at a time, these people are being led astray. The true remnant church needs to wake up and stand up and be effective one person at a time. It's what we do with who is in our sphere of influence. That's what you and I are going to be accountable for when we go before the Bema seat. He's not going to say, did you do what this other person did? You're not, if you're not called to go to Africa or South America or China, you're not called. Maybe you're called to be here. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? That's what effectiveness in the gospel is all about. And I want to encourage you to continue to pursue the Lord in your own personal life because it's when we get that relationship right that that living water of Christ flows in and through us and it affects everyone else around us. I heard a great message this morning and the pastor was talking about, I, I, I flipped through the pages of scripture and I don't find Jesus running around telling the disciples, I love you at every turn. He didn't have to say, I love you all the time. You want to know why? Because his life exemplified love. How he lived, what he did, how he cared for the disciples, what he taught them, his countenance, the way he lived his life. People know if you're genuine or not based on how you live, how you act, how you treat them. Wouldn't you rather have someone doing that than someone always saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, but then their actions are totally contrary to what love is? You see, and this is what we are supposed to be like as believers in Christ. Let them know you by how you love, how you live, how we love one another, how we treat other people as well. The scripture is clear about that for the church. We have great responsibility, saints. Be encouraged, though. You're here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying here. You're here on the planet because the Lord still has a work that he's doing in and through you so he may receive all honor and glory through your life. So don't ever think 
that you're incapable of being used by the Lord in a mighty way. Because that one person on your job that you don't know what's going on in their life and you reach out to them continually and you share the love of Christ. You don't know what kind of impact that that's going to have. You may not see the fruit ever, but you living out your life before them in a godly manner, honoring the Lord in all you do and all you say, that is going to have an impact. If you don't get anything else from today, please don't miss that. Amen? Getting back to uh, the specs of the New Jerusalem, all of what we heard in the scripture, the bottom line is that all of these descriptions given about the New Jerusalem are ultimately to display the unrivaled majesty of God. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to give us a vivid picture, an indication of how great and majestic and glorious God is. That's what this is about it's all about him we have several main points and the first one is this the holy city the new jerusalem will come down from god from heaven that's what will happen it will come down from where he dwells where he dwells this may seem obvious but still it is very important to point out that heaven is a construct of the lord god almighty and not of man You see, one of the saddest things that I see is people striving for peace here on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I know peace is a beautiful thing and and it's very important. It's a very important way to live. The Bible says we should live peaceable amongst men as much as we can afford to, right? Some people, you're just going to be on their bad side and they're just not going to like it. They're just not going to like you. You're going to rub them the wrong way. Because the way you live and you can't live at peace with everyone. But as much as you can in your own ability, the Bible tells us, or actually through the ability of the Holy Spirit, through his power, we are to try to live at peace with all men and women. So I know that peace is is an important thing. But it seems like many people think that they can obtain peace in this life by any means except Jesus Christ. Any other means. (laughs) <laughs> they, they try to obtain peace other than Christ. They don't try his route. Many don't. It's only a, 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 a few that try the way of Christ. And that's what I mean by it's so sad. You see, Jesus Christ himself is peace. He is the epitome of peace. I know you've seen the bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace, right? <laughs> However you want to coin that. It's the truth. But you see, in order to have peace, biblical peace, we need to know and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, peace is not brought about by demonstrating or protesting or fighting or yelling or wars. That does not produce the kind of godly peace that the Bible talks about. Not Not even political diplomatic peace talks bring about peace. You got all these men in suits and women in suits in high positions of authority within government and they sit around some table and they're talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to be peaceful and this and that and blah, 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 blah. 
No, that doesn't bring about peace. All it does is convolute the situation and make it worse. And somebody reneges on the agreement that they had. And then you got the situation that we're seeing right now. War going on. Widespread war. Famine about to pop off. It's already popping off in the world. Widespread famine. It's a blessing that you and I can still go to Costco or Knob Hill or wherever we grocery shop and still get groceries. Still get meat. Still get produce. Because these things are going to come at a premium. Mark the Bible's words. It's playing out already. It's playing out already, depending on where you get your source of information. You see, again, true peace is brought about by living under the authority and in obedience to Jesus Christ. Peace is tranquility and calm in the midst of the storms of life. That's what peace is. And the reality is, there's no way of avoiding getting wet. <laughs> so that means, basically, we're all going to go through storms. If you're not in a storm this week, you're probably getting ready to get into a storm next week. That's just how it is for the Christian. You know, it's not doom and gloom. It's just the reality. Living in this fallen world, man, you're going you're gonna to go through it. If you don't go through storms, you're probably not saved. You're probably not saved. Even non-believers go through storms. How much more will the Christian go through storms of life? Because it's all about the renewing of your spirit. The, the, the changing over of our, 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 our hard-heartedness in order for God to produce something good and genuine and holy in us. Well, how does he do that? By giving you a, a, a martini and sitting on the beach with your legs up and going, you just live in Hawaii every day of your life? No, that's not reality. You're going to go through hardships. I'm going to go through hardships. The Bible says it is through much tribulation that the believer enters into the gates of heaven. What does that mean to you? I, I mean, I can't, I can't chop it up any other way than that. You're going to go through it. We're going to go through it. But it is that tranquility, that godly peace in the midst of calamity that is that true peace. And it's Jesus Christ, Jesus walking with you through it, through the storms of life, through the difficulties of life, and you being able to get through it with flying colors. With flying colors while, where other people would have just given up and they just fall off and fade away because they don't have the power of the Lord within them to sustain them through the difficulties of life. The other side of that is when you're on top of the mountain, when you're living and things are good, you can live with a humility about yourself and you don't run around just throwing it in everybody's face being a jerk about what he's blessed you with. You're able to live with a humility and people are like, oh, it's cool. It's okay to be around this person. I don't mind them. You know, sometimes the people that have everything going for them and they're such snobs, it's because they have no humility. They, they're not humble. They, they think they, it's owed to them. But when you walk with God, you can still obtain things in this life and not be owned by them and not be a jerk about it. Again, it's the peace of Jesus Christ that gives you the ability, me, the ability to live like that. Again, this is why ultimately true, everlasting, unhindered peace comes from God alone. It is a gift from him to mankind. And eternally, that peace can only be found in Jesus Christ in the new Jerusalem. You see, apart from him in the lake of fire, there will be no peace. There will be torment. 
Those in the lake of fire will be tormented by their decisions of not choosing Christ and the lifelong, the everlasting consequences of being apart from God Almighty for eternity. While the other side is the new Jerusalem, there will be eternal peace. There'll be eternal joy awaiting the believer. This is a sharp contrast between the historic earthly Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem of the millennium and eternity. Let's look at that real quick. Earthly Jerusalem is often disrupted by internal and external strife. You look at Jerusalem right now. What are they going through? They're still going through it. (laughs) Ever since, ever since the scriptures were written, they've been going through it. And they're going to continue to go through it until the Messiah returns. But this is the earthly Jerusalem. This is what we see in a fallen world. The new Jerusalem, by contrast, will be a city of perfect peace. Men designed and built the former Jerusalem, but God is the designer and builder of the new Jerusalem. The Babylonians, the Romans, and centuries later, we haven't entered into it. We're, we're kind of at that place now. It's like the, 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 the forefront or you know, hand on the doorknob about to turn it, so to speak. The Gentiles of the tribulation will overrun the former Jerusalem. But the new Jerusalem is secure, indestructible, and eternal. The current earthly Jerusalem experiences pain, suffering, death, and mourning. Sorrow, pain, and suffering, and death are absent from the new Jerusalem. Several idolatrous, unrighteous kings ruled the former Jerusalem. The kings who enter the new Jerusalem are righteous worshipers of God. And the new Jerusalem is the capital from which the King of kings and the Lord of lords rules. Obviously, that's the Lord God Almighty. That's Jesus. The former Jerusalem stoned God's prophets. The new Jerusalem is a safe home for his prophets. The former Jerusalem clamored for Christ's crucifixion. We know about these accounts, right? Crucify him, they screamed to Pilate. The new Jerusalem, Christ doesn't bear a cross, but he wears a crown. And so we see the contrast between the earthly Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem that will be in the heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. The second main point that we have this morning is this. The new Jerusalem will be nothing like we have ever laid eyes on before. You see, we get a very close up and vivid description of what this new Jerusalem will look like. Verses 11 down through 21 go into great detail of how and what this holy city in heaven will be constructed with. Now, when you think of all the uh, crowned accomplishments of mankind, there are a lot. I'm speaking of like structurally, right? Things that men have built or, you know, men and women have used their ingenuity to construct these structures and these buildings. Um, You got everything from the pyramids in Egypt, right? People still marvel at that. How was that done at such a long time ago? Uh, just think of Mount Rushmore. That's pretty crazy, right? The fact that they literally chiseled in and carved in these faces and, you know, into the mountainside. That's wild stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Burj Khalifa, but this is still the tallest structure in the world, literally trying to reach uh, the, the, the clouds. All of these structures were engineered with the utmost precision that humans could create. But all of these combined don't even hold a match to the design and creation of the new Jerusalem. These are some staggering statistics that I'll read off. The city's exact dimensions are measured by an angel and reported 
to be 12,000 stadia, which is the equivalent of 1,400 miles in length, in width, and in height. Even though these proportions may have some form of symbolic importance, it doesn't mean that they can't be literal as well. The fact Scripture emphasizes that the dimensions are given in man's measurement shows us that he wants us to understand what's going on here. You see, a metropolis, if you will, of this size in the middle of the United States, just picture our country, would stretch from Canada to Mexico from the Appalachian Mountains, wherever that is, isn't that in like the Carolinas, Tennessee area, okay, all the way to California. That's what we're talking about here. The New Jerusalem is all the square footage that anyone could ask for. Even more astounding is the city's 1,400 mile height. We don't have to worry if there will be enough room in heaven or not. The ground level of the city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England and 15,000 times bigger than London. It's 10 times as big as France or Germany and far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level we're talking about here. The cube shape of the New Jerusalem reminds us of the cube shape of the most holy place in the temple. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 6. The three dimensions perhaps, perhaps excuse me, suggest the three persons of the Trinity. God will live in this city and it is his presence that will be its greatest feature. The fact that God is present with us unhindered by sin. This is what's going to be so great about the new Jerusalem. The third main point is this. In the new Jerusalem, there will be no need for an atmospheric sun or moon because God himself, his glory, is the light. You see, ancient cities were often dark. Now, for some reason, I just thought of like, you know, medieval times, you know, castles, and just, you know, just how crazy it must have been to live back then. You know, they didn't have lighting systems. So they depended upon lighted torches or the light of the sun by day and then the light of the moon by night. That's, that's just how they got down because they didn't have, you know, PG&E. <laughs> you know, I don't even want to talk about that. But. <laughs> but even today with all of our technology, right, and our super bright halogen lights, you know, I mean, the lights that just blind you when you come, you're like going to someone's dining and you're like, man, to dim that down. <laughs> Yeah, it's too bright. You're blinding me, man. Like the sun. But even with all of our technology and all these bright lights and all these specs that we've created, it doesn't even compare to the light of Jesus Christ. How different the new, new Jerusalem will be. You see, it will enjoy the glorious light of God all the time. Because the Lamb provides it. Jesus Christ provides it. The residents of the new Jerusalem will never receive an electric bill and you won't ever have to worry about a blackout or a rolling blackout. Or, man, I got to get these candles, man. I can't believe it. Again, PG&E. They're trying to put on the commercials. Oh, we're digging underground. Now, hopefully no one here works for PG&E. I'll be stepping on toes. But, you know, they talk about going underground and putting on. I mean, Y'all should have did that years ago, man. You know, again, man's ingenuity. The big difference between man and God. No more blackouts. No more electric bills. The light will come from God's glory alone. Neither the moon or the sun needs to shine on the new Jerusalem. 
You see, Jesus, the light of the world, serves as the city's lamp. John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he will be in the New Jerusalem as well. In the Old Testament times, the Shekinah glory, I love that word, Shekinah, seen at various times as God revealed his glory. When Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarshish on the road to Damascus, a brilliant, bright light accompanied Jesus' appearance and blinded Saul. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1.5 that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So it is only fitting that Jesus Christ himself be the one who lights up heaven. He lights up that world. All right, let's go ahead and knock out these verses. It says 9 and 10. Then I, then, uh, excuse me, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, so we see here, we see this phrase, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. This heavenly city is literal, but it is also called the bride, the lamb's wife, because it is the place where all God's people are gathered. No matter who you are as a believer, you will be here. You will dwell in this place with the Lord. It is this sense that the new Jerusalem is certainly like the bride, but this association doesn't diminish the reality behind this image. The city is associated with the bride to awe us and inspire us of the sense of its beauty. The fact that it's going to be, apart from God himself, the most beautiful thing that we're going to lay eyes on. The fact that this is our dwelling with him in eternity forever. The fact that it's inseparable. The fact that he is the light that lights up this city. The whole atmosphere, the whole picture is going to be so overwhelming. It is a great thing. And now we see this phrase, the holy city come down out of heaven from God. You see, people have always tried to create some kind of utopian society where everyone gets along. I think the governments of the world are trying some way in some diabolical way trying to do that right now. It's not really for peace. It's kind of for their security <laughs> because everyone else who's not in their circle of influence is going to be affected. Hence what I was talking about, the famines that are going to be coming at some time in our generation. <laughs> These are all affected by the fact that they're doing stuff to work together to try to manipulate the circumstances to play out in their favor. But even in that, there's always been some groups of people that have tried to create some kind of utopian society. But every human being who's ever attempted this has ultimately failed. Failed. Nobody has been successful in creating a society where everyone gets along all the time perfectly. No hindrances, no arrests, nothing bad happening. We must remember that we live in a fallen world populated with fallen sinners. Satan and his fallen angels lurk around every corner looking to deceive these fallen sinners. So you see, that's, that's kind of, that's what we're living in. So it's no wonder why there's no utopian society because you got demonic uh, spirits running around trying to infect people and people that aren't, do not have 
the Holy Spirit in them, are not seeking God, are not looking to, 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 to give honor and glory to God, they're the first to be deceived. And this just happens over and over and over again. You see, the only place we will ever experience a true society of peace is in heaven. The great I am is the only one who can give true peace. This is why the text reads that the new Jerusalem came down from the dwelling place of God. Once again, this is a construct of God, not of man. This is not the Burj Khalifa trying to reach the, the higher heights. This is not, you know, the, the, the Tower of Babel. Again, men and women trying to comprise to build something to get to heaven. This is coming down from God's dwelling places. Daniel had mentioned when uh, we talked last week that that's the third heaven where God dwells. That's where the New Jerusalem is coming from. It's not here in our, in our mess. It is from God. It's not from men's making. James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Oh, praise God for that. Doesn't that encourage you that He never changes? The promises he's made to you are the promises that will be for you forever. <laughs> the only thing that he'll renege on is that anointing. The giftings will never leave you. We have something to do with the anointing. You see, our level of obedience determines how much of the anointing we'll have or we will not have, you know. That's the only thing God will take back. But the promises are there for you and me. The giftings are there for you and me forever. All we have to do is learn to live and walk in obedience. And we can experience that anointing. And the anointing is so important because without the anointing, there is no power. There's no power. Do you see people that have gifts? And they use the gifts, but there's no power. Maybe in the world but not in the church, not in God's dealings, not in his business, because you could be gifted of God, but not have the anointing. We want the anointing of God to flow in and through us continually. Disobedience is the quickest way to shut the faucet of anointing off from God. Trust me, because I've been through it more times than not, more times than I would like to admit but when you live in obedience to the word of God, you allow that fountain of anointing to flow in and through your life. And it affects you and everyone else around you. So whenever things are not going the way you want, sometimes we need to stop and think, what are we doing? <laughs> go to us first. Don't go to God. You know, because sometimes it's us. We're the reason that that things are getting clogged up. When we get that right, then things will operate better. And then we'll be able to determine, okay, maybe this is just a trial that the Lord is allowing me to go through because you've already ruled out, well, I'm living in obedience to God, so okay, it's not me. But that's just a little food for thought for somebody here today. I know that's speaking to somebody. All right, verses 11 and, uh, through 14, it says, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates 
on the south three gates, excuse me, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, so we see this statement, its light was like a most precious stone. The apostle John was first impressed by just the glory and the majesty of this city. The new Jerusalem shares in the glory of God. It was expressed in the radiant light shining from it. It's like when it just, I, 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 can't, I can't compare it to anything. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but, but it's like, it's just like when you, it's just when something is so, so pure and so clear and you just, the light shines through, you know, that glass. It's, it's something similar to that. That's the only way, the only thing that I can, you know, think of. I don't know, some kind of crystal thing, you know, shining on somebody's rear view mirror. I don't know, but just something like, you know, where it's just, there's a purity there and there's just that, that brilliance. Like I, it boggles my mind. How does something clear through the light from the sun emit all these different colors of the rainbow? That's just that's mind blowing, right? That's another just 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 revealing of how just the greatness of God that He's the one who does this, you know? He's the one who does this. But this is on a far greater scale that we'll see when we get to heaven. It had a great and high wall. Now, we have to understand the wall was not needed for defense because there were no more enemies. But the great and high wall give this city definition, if you will. And it shows that some will be excluded from the city because that's kind of like a divide, right? If you own property and you have a wall or a fence, right? At least in, in our state, we do. I know other states, it's crazy. I'm like, what the heck? Peaceful's living on this plot of land and there ain't nothing dividing these, these, <laughs> these houses. Like, what? You just walk up on my property? Yeah. Tripping. Over here, you got a fence. Even if in, you're in the hood, you got a fence. You're like, no, they're, I, they're, I got a black iron fence that says you're not coming in this area. But this, this, this wall is to show us that the <laughs> occupants are, are in and everyone else is excluded. And, and, and you're not in, if you didn't get the invitation, you're not coming up in here. That's what that wall is, is showing us, this great high wall. Next, we see 12 gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now, the names of the tribes on the gates communicate the unity and heritage that God has with the people of Israel. You see, God will never forget the tribes of Israel, even unto eternity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Well, there will always be a remnant. There will always be a remnant of Israel. There will always be a remnant of every single tribe of Israel. You could talk to Daniel about this because he probably knows. I think, I don't know, Dan may be the only one. But that's a whole nother. I don't even want to get into that because <laughs> that's going to get me off topic. But right, Dan might be the only. That's the 144,000. Okay. Either way, talk to Daniel about that if you, if you have any questions. <laughs> Um, let's see. You can also uh, you can also look into Numbers chapter two because uh, we talk about here um, the three gates on the east and the north. Some have thought that this arrangement of gates might look back to the camp layout during um, the Exodus times. So again, in Numbers chapter two, if you want to look that up on your your own time, you can learn about that. And then we have this statement, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 
The foundations are an eternal testimony to these apostles and their permanent place in God's plan. If it isn't built on the foundation of the apostles, it isn't the right place for God's people. The New Jerusalem and the church are founded upon the apostles. We find this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 down through 21, and it reads, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I mean, it's, it, it can't get any clearer than that. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's another thing for us to remember. The importance of knowing Scripture, being able to discern truth from error, you and I must continually build our lives upon the cornerstone who is Christ Jesus. We have to. There's such a watering down going on of the gospel that, you know, whenever you travel, you know, you go to a church service. I pray that the Lord leads you to a church that they're going to teach the truth and not water it down because it's not being Christ's friend. It's about Christ being your savior. <laughs> now, people like to, oh, you just be Jesus's friend and you don't got to believe in this counsel Noah and it's all good. No, stop. You need to be submitted to Christ. He is the ultimate authority in your life. If he's not, who is? You are. And then what is that? That's not good. Or some demon is or some other false prophet is. That's not good. We need Jesus Christ to lay the foundation, which he's already laid. We just have to walk in it. Amen. All right. 15 down through 17. And it says, and the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Okay, the city is laid out as a square. The new Jerusalem's length, height, and width are equal. This means that it's a cube. It's a cube. That's, that's, what, that's the depiction that we get from what the scripture says. A cube, if you remember, it is reminiscent of the holy place of the tabernacle, suggesting that the entire city is a holy place. This new Jerusalem, there's nothing that's tarnished or unclean or unpure in it. And that's the reasoning for the cube description. He measured the city with the reed or the rod. The size of the New Jerusalem is enormous. 12,000 furlongs, some of your uh, translations might say, or stadia equals 15, uh, 1,500 miles. This is the same distance. This is another example from Maine to Florida. The square footage would be approximately the size of the moon. I don't know how big the moon is, but that's pretty big. <laughs> the application is this. A city of this size is too large for the imagination to take in. John is certainly conveying the idea of splendor, of God's splendor, and more importantly, that there is room for all. Here is just some food for thought, something that you can take with a grain of salt. You can take it or leave it, whatever you want to do. But a gentleman by the name of Henry Morris, he guessed that there will have been 100 billion people in the human race throughout history. 100 billion people. As he just you know, put it out there. And that about 20% of these people will be saved calculating that each person would have a block with about 75 acres to call their own. 
This is highly speculative, but it illustrates the point that there is plenty of room in the New Jerusalem. John chapter 14, verse 2 tells us, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. It's pretty cool. It's crazy too, because, man, it's a trip. Jesus did teach more about hell than he did about heaven. <laughs> a lot of people on that, a lot of people on that broad road, unfortunately, and I don't, I don't take any pleasure saying that, but just the reality is that there's going to be enough room in heaven. So, you know, people need to join in on the fun and submit to the Lord. Amen. According to the measurements of man, that is of angels. In this case, the cubit measure of a man is the same as an angel's measurement of a cubit. So again, this is showing us what roughly the kind of circumference, if you will, and the parameters of the New Jerusalem will look like. Okay, 18 down through 21, it says the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth burial, the ninth topaz, the ninth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. When we read of jasper or pure gold and all kind of precious stones, we should take these as a literal representation, yet they express the reality of another world, something that we just haven't seen, right? Um, <clears throat> I mean, the closest you get now is just rappers <laughs> or, 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 or superstar sports, a sports athletes. I'm watching baseball right now, baseball playoffs. How many people dig in the baseball playoffs? You got these... You got these well-off men with just these just diamonds everywhere <laughs> just diamonds everywhere i mean that's the closest maybe that's just because what i'm into but like as far as sports but that that's that's what the only thing i could see is like and i know that that's a poor example but you know right we we, we prize these things as as people right oh when you get to get married oh you gotta get her you gotta get her a flawless vvs stone it can't be clouded. It's got to be clear. <laughs> you know, this is what we think of, but, but heaven, it's going to be so much greater. It's going to be beyond what any human could even compare to. K jewelers ain't got nothing on the New Jerusalem. Put it that way. You know, we, we can gain a brief glimpse of what John saw, the apostle, but we can't even begin to see its fullness until we are able to see it with our own eyes. The application is simply this. The Apostle John's use of riches in his description, in his way of bringing out the very value of what a God has for his people. This is made for us, the faithful followers of Christ. This is, he, he wants to invite us into his rest and be in this beautiful, peaceful place with him for eternity. This is, this is what he has prepared for his, those he calls his own. And then we see again all these precious stones. I'm not going to read them all again, but the precise identification of these gemstones in modern terms is difficult to explain. But the impression is of unending, staggering beauty. Again, that's what this is supposed to translate to us. 
in the creativity and in, in, in just the, the greatness of God's infinite wisdom and his creative, artistic, if you will, expression. We see this beautiful city that he has created for his family, for his followers. The reality is this symbolism, the reality of this symbolism, excuse me, is not meant to give the impression of wealth or luxury. Because remember, the world system is gone. It's not about that. And, and I just talked about that. In our world, in our system, diamonds are precious. Gold is precious. Not necessarily here. The majesty of the new Jeruz- Jerusalem is to point to the glory and the holiness of God. That's what it is supposed to describe. And if there is any biblical reference to point to this assortment of gemstones, it would probably be in the high priest's breastplate. Um, Exodus chapter 28 verses 15 down through 21 kind of give us a description and I'll read that for the sake of context. It says, you shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Shall you make it? It shall be square and doubled a span its lengths in a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardis, topaz, carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a burial, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So that's kind of the description that we get that kind of, again, it undergirds what we see in the New Jerusalem with these different stones adorned, adorning the city. Next, we see the statement, uh, cl- like clear glass, like transparent glass. You see, this is very important for us to to note because the scripture talks about pure gold, but then it also being clear like glass. I ain't never seen no gold that's pure. (laughs) You're talking about some whole other on some whole other level. I mean, the closest we got is what, 24 carat that that's locked up and it's a little softer. Right. They got that in India. Right. Yeah, there you go. Because I know when Veronica went to India, she came back with some gold. She still has some gold bracelets. And those pure gold bracelets, they're not really solid. They don't have that other metal in them. But the constant mention of transparency or transparent transparency, excuse me, indicates that the city is designed to transmit the glory of God in the form of light without hindrance. That's what this is about. If the dimensions and descriptions seem confusing... Or impossible, because many people doubt it. They're like, ah, this is super sketch. This can't be real. There are two main principles to keep in mind. The first is we must understand the ideas communicated in detail come from the glory and the beauty and the splendor of God. And the second is we must understand that the architect of this city is God. We should expect it to be beyond our comprehension. That's why I said at the beginning of this, I don't ever claim to be an expert on this. I'm just doing my best in the power of the Holy Spirit to convey this information to you guys because there's many things that I don't understand or don't know about this. But Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 down through 10 explain this, that God is beyond our comprehension. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land 
of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So our forefather, Abraham, he went out in the same way that we're going out. He's going out believing that there is something greater and mightier that the Lord is preparing for him. You in your life, me in my life, we need to take this into account as we go through our day-to-day operations. Understand that you're living for something so much greater, so much more than what you see now. Right? It's like the saints in the Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Faith. They, many of those people never saw what they lived for come to fruition in this life. That doesn't mean they lived in vain. That doesn't mean that they worked hard for nothing. It means that what they were living for was far beyond this life. And if you do get to see manifest things in this life that you're living for and praying for, then man, praise God all the more that he allowed you to be blessed in such a way that you got to see these things manifest before your eyes. I think, um, amen. I'll share that for another time. It's all good. All right. (laughs) 22 and 23. And it says, and I, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God. The Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need or for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Okay, we see this statement, I saw no temple in it. So in the ancient world, it would have been unthinkable to have a great city without some kind of temple. I mean, temples accompanied great civilizations. That's just how it's been since the beginning of time. That's like saying today... I went into this great city and I saw no bank. I saw no shopping mall. I saw no sports arena. If you are a big city and you ain't got no sports team, shame on you. That's not the American way. You got to even, even Memphis got somebody. They got the Grizzlies. You, you got to have some. California, we got, we got way too many. We got five, six. We got baseball, four or five teams, football, two, three. Well, they took the Raiders, but still, you know, uh, that, that's like us saying, no, nah, I, mean, I don't see these things. But that's not what the case is going to be. Nevertheless, in this city, the New Jerusalem, there was no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see here, the temple was not removed. It was better yet expanded. Everything in every place is holy in the dwelling place of God. Trip out on this. Before Jesus, the temple was a prophecy. In the Christian era, God's people are his temple, right? The Bible says your body is the temple of the living God, right? In the millennium, the temple will be a memorial. In the New Jerusalem, the temple will be everywhere. <laughs> the whole thing is because it's the, it's the radiance, it's the presence of God there. The saints need no place of worship or sacrifice. The object of all worship is present. And the great sacrifice himself is there. So it's going to be it's just, it's just be the whole get down. It's going to be a party all the time. You better get your worship on. You know, somehow, some way, you know, whatever. You better worship the Lord because you're going to be doing a whole lot of it in heaven. No temple, no need for sun or the moon. This reminds us that heaven will be a place of pure worship. You see... Things that we use nowadays to help us worship, but often end up distracting us 
you know, buildings, music systems, these stinking slides, the computer that's always messing up. The Wi-Fi in this building is horrible. I'm not trying to be ungrateful. I'm just saying. Just, these are the things that we deal with on a week-to-week basis. These are all hindrances here. In heaven, we don't have no need for none. We don't need no slides. We don't need none of that. We don't need no computers. It's just going to be pure, pure worship. We're going to be worshiping the true one, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The application is this. In heaven, none of our joy, none of our beauty or knowledge will be based on created things, but only on the creator. And the reality is, by faith, you and I can have it this way now. You can decide to trust in God so completely that your joy, what you consider beautiful, and your foundation of knowledge are all based on Jesus Christ and not anything created. This is the great delusion that we see happening right now before our very eyes. People are being tested everywhere to either trust in Jesus Christ alone or to trust in man's wisdom and man's judgment alone. That's the two camps that we see. No matter how you cut it, that's the reality. It's either Jesus Christ or it's everything else. And as I heard this morning as my children were doing a Bible study, Netflix is calling you. (laughs) Uh, uh, All these these streaming sites are calling you to come join, come join. Come get refreshed by by us. But then Jesus Christ says he is the living water. Come get refreshed in him. You see, that's the two camps we fall into. John chapter 8 verse 12 tells us, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Question, if Jesus Christ is the light of this world, why would he not be the light of heaven? He, 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 of course, is going to be the light of heaven. Light speaks of joy, for in the scriptures, light and joy go together. Light speaks of beauty, because without light, there is no beauty. Light speaks of knowledge, and in heaven, we will all know him, and he will know us. All right, last few verses as I wrap it up. 24 and 27, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We see this statement, the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. What does this mean? What is this about? This is kind of, this is a trip. Who are they? Well, I'm going to tell you straight up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know specifically who these kings are. I have, a, um, I have a somewhat of understanding and an assumption, but I do not know for sure. It, it's difficult to understand, and different commentators have different suggestions. But either way, it's encouraging to know that not all who were destroyed when the nations come to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord himself, there will also be kings of this earth who will be part of the eternal state. Among these mysteries of the new heaven and the new earth is this, that besides the glorified church, there shall be dwelling on the renewed earth nations organized by kings, saved by the means of influence of the heavenly city. There's going to be some of these people who are blessed by the Lord and they will not renege on their faith. And again, this last portion as Michelle and Isaiah come up this last point. There shall be no means of entering into this new Jerusalem if you are defiled. If anyone is defiled, they will not enter into the new Jerusalem. Does this mean that these people will even threaten this city? Not at all. It isn't saying that at all because 
we all know that sinners will be in the lake of fire at this time. But the application is this. This exhortation is for us today. If you're hearing this today, understand that the only way to participate in the future city is to turn your loyalty to the Lamb now. Now. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today the Lord holds in His hand life or death. If you choose life and life in abundance in Jesus Christ, you have the guarantee of salvation in eternity with Him forever and ever. But you have to choose Him. And you choose Him by simply (laughs) just laying down at His feet and just giving everything over to Him. Trust me, I've been through it this week and I will tell you, you have so much more peace when you give everything over to him. Don't think holding on to whatever you're trying to hold on to is going to work. You're going to be so much more blessed if you give it over. He gives back tenfold. He gives back tenfold. As it's been said, you're better off with $90 in Christ than $100 and no God. The things of this world, they just they don't compare to him. Put all your hope in him today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for just your love for us. Lord, that you pursue us. Lord, that you seek to have relationship with us. That it is true. That it is genuine, Lord. That you want to love us. That you want us to love you back. Lord, help us to be those that are wise. May we be broken so that you could build us back up. May we be broken so that revival could happen in our hearts. Lord, if we need to be brought low, bring us low. Because you say that you'll exalt the humble, but you will not deal with the pride in a favorable manner. So may that pride be broken in us. And may we come before you as beggars looking for bread. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.